Hi, I'm Ava. I am part of Senior High here. Um, tonight the Bible reading is from John 2, 1 to 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water, and it had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called, them, then he called the bride and groom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice of wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of... Of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Well, thanks, Ava, for reading for us. And please keep that passage open in front of you so that you know what I'm saying comes from the Word of God. I want to say a big hello to youth and 645. I'm feeling the love on the Slido. Thank you very much for that. I hope that was only my wife posting lots and lots and lots of times. But it's wonderful to be with you in your lounge rooms this evening. Well, let's start with some prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we open up this passage in John's Gospel to John chapter 2, we pray that you will speak to us through it. We pray that you'll transform and change us and make us more like your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Jesus turned water into wine. Why wouldn't you follow him? That was the slogan which was plastered over our Christian group's uni t-shirts when I was at university. Now, controversial it might be, and with the benefit of hindsight, we can probably see that this was maybe sending the wrong message, especially to uni students. But this passage that we're looking at tonight, in this passage, uh, Jesus isn't promoting excessive drinking, and that's something that Christians should not promote either. Though, with these caveats in place, the question still remains. Jesus turned water into wine. Why wouldn't you follow him? Now, some of you may be watching tonight, and it, this may be the exact reason why you don't follow Jesus, because of miracles like this. You say, that's so unscientific. Why would I follow someone like that? Well, if that's you tonight, uh, listen on as we deal with that objection, and then we give you three reasons to believe in Jesus. Uh, others of you might be watching and you might be followers of Jesus, but you're having doubts at the moment. Uh, you're questioning whether he is good. Uh, you're questioning because he feels far away from you or 
He's not concerned with the messiness of your life. Well, friends, if that's you, in the midst of lockdown, this passage provides you with comfort. And others of us may be watching, and our faith may be flourishing at the moment, may be growing gangbusters. But after many years of fruitless results from our prayer for that friend or that family member who seems so far away from Jesus, after many years of fruitlessness in prayer, we've started to give up. Well, friends, this passage gives you hope. So we're going to turn now and look at the wine sign. And friends, we're going to savor this passage over three headings. We're going to look at Jesus, the glorious creator. We're going to look at Jesus's glorious character. And we're going to look at Jesus's the glorious celebrator, because this ends with a party. So let's jump straight into that first point. Jesus, the glorious creator. And I'm going to do a little bit of something different this week. Rather than start at the beginning, we're going to jump right to the end of our passage, uh, to verse 11. And we see in verse 11, it says, John says, uh, What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, when I got to that part of this passage, I had to stop myself and I had to ask the question, why? Why would Jesus choose the wine sign as the way to announce his ministry? Why would he do it in the obscure place of Canaan in Galilee? Why would he turn water into wine? Why would this be the first sign? It just doesn't seem to fit. But the more I dug into this passage, the more I saw that it wasn't odd at all. The wine sign reveals exactly what Jesus wants us to know about him. By turning water into wine, Jesus announces himself as the glorious creator. But before we go further, before we unpack what that looks like, we do need to deal with that scientific skeptic's objection. And it, it may shock you. It may shock you. But I actually agree with the skeptic. Water doesn't turn into wine. It just doesn't happen. It's impossible. It's crazy. But I think that's John's point. I think that's why John has put this as the first sign through which Jesus reveals his glory, because only a creator God could do that. Let me, let me try to explain, uh, give an example of how I think this works out. And I have to use my good friend Ben. Uh, ben is a professor in computer science at ANU, and he's a genius when it comes to coding and programming. Uh, ben can make whole worlds appear on a computer screen. Uh, but because Ben has typed the code, he's written it himself, he can very simply go into the back end of the code and transform it and change it so that what appears on the screen is totally different. And in a similar way, could it just be possible that the author of atoms, neuron, neutrons and protons could do exactly the same thing. If you look closely at the text, 
you will see that Jesus wheels water into wine without even uttering a word. The molecules move to his majestic might. Only the author of Adams could have such glorious power. Only the creator, only the first mover behind all things could change water into wine. And in case you're thinking, in case you're thinking this was just a sleight of hand, a a magic trick, do you see that John says that this was the first of seven signs through which Jesus revealed his glory, through which Jesus broke and bent the fixed laws of nature? Uh, John records seven of these signs. They come up on the slide. Uh, Jesus heals sickness. Jesus heals disabilities. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. Jesus walks on water. Jesus heals a man born blind. And Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead after he'd been in the grave for four days. And John says right at the end of his book, in chapter 20, verse 30, he says, Jesus performed many other signs that are not recorded in this book. And friends, the point that John's trying to make through his whole book is that Jesus is the creator and you should believe in him. And these signs, these signs that John records, all foreshadowed the sign of signs, which is Jesus' glorious resurrection from the dead. And as careful readers of John's gospel, friends, we we shouldn't be surprised about the wine sign. We should have seen something like this coming. John's been priming us for this big reveal right from the beginning. If you remember back to the, couple of, the first couple of verses of John's gospel, John reveals that Jesus was the word with God, verse 2. And through him, verse 3, all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. John's already told us in chapter 1, verse 14, that we have seen his glory. John's probably got this sign in mind. We've seen the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it's in this first sign, the wine sign, that we get our first glimpse as readers of Jesus' glory. So we've got to ask the question. We have to ask the question, how does the fact that Jesus is this glorious creator, how does that actually change our day to day? Well, friends, there are so many ways in which it can change our day to day. So many ways. I'm just going to focus in on two. And they are, it brings comfort and confidence to those who believe in him. If Jesus can turn water into wine, then he can basically do whatever he wants. If Jesus can change water into wine, he's powerful enough to take our watery words and make them wine in people's hearts who do not yet know him. And friends, don't we need that confidence? Don't we need that confidence when we want to share life with others? Don't we need that confidence as we're gearing up to invite people to share life Sunday? That Jesus can change water into wine. 
He can do what he wants. If Jesus can change water into wine, well then he can transform the hearts of prodigals. Transform the heart of that prodigal best friend that we had. Uh, Transform the hearts of our parents who may have wandered from the Lord or do not even know the Lord and seem so far from him. Transform the hearts of that colleague at work that is like a thorn in our side. If Jesus can turn water into wine, he can transform our hearts. He can move and change us so that we can overcome that thing that keeps weighing us down, that we just can't lift off our shoulders, that that sin that you know that no one else knows. He can move that and change it and transform it and make us more and more and more like himself. And friends, if Jesus can turn water into wine, then ultimately he can overcome and break that final law of death so that we can rest safely and securely in the comfort of his strong arms. The wine sign firstly reveals Jesus as the glorious creator. Well, secondly, the wine sign reveals Jesus' glorious character. Now, if we look at verse 4, it's a really interesting interaction between Jesus and his mum. Um, on, on a little side note, uh, Jesus actually isn't being disrespectful to his mum here. You can see that by the little E uh, above the, letter, the word woman there. Uh, he's just using a Greek term that doesn't actually denote any disrespect. And that's why in verse 5, when you see Mary there, uh, she doesn't scold him as my mother probably would have scolded me by saying, don't you dare speak to me like that. Notice what Mary does. She just keeps going on as if nothing abnormal had happened. And that's how we're meant to read it. But what we're meant to see in verse 4 is the point that Jesus is trying to make. And the point that Jesus is trying to make to his mum is he's trying to say, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. It's the groom's problem. He was meant to take care of all the wine. And if not the groom's problem, then it was the master of the banquet's problem to fix. Jesus is saying, don't come to me with this problem. It's not mine to fix. I'm not obligated to help in any way. But then we start to see Jesus' character revealed. He helps anyway. And what this reveals is that Jesus isn't some standoff celebrity or some pious priest who thinks that there are certain things below him. No, it shows Jesus' character, that he actually enters into the messiness of life. And it shows that if Jesus actually cares about this relatively small matter of a groom's social embarrassment, then he cares about you and the messiness that you feel in your life day in, day out. And the other thing that we see about Jesus' character is that he's abundant in his provision of his grace. Do you see that he didn't just top up the supplies of wine with a bottle or two? But he provided between... 500 and 750 liters of wine for this party. Jesus just doesn't measure out his grace by the drop, but he gives it by the gallon. 
He gives liberally. The jars are filled to the brim. And the quality is as notable as the quantity. His grace for the groom and the guests flows out abundantly from his gloriously compassionate and caring character. Now, friends, for those of us who are going well in this lockdown period, could this passage just stir us to show similar measures of gracious, abundant, compassionate care to those that we know who aren't going so well? Jesus was under no obligation to turn the water into wine to fix the wine's problem, but he did. We're under no obligation to pick up the phone and and call that person that God's been putting on our hearts, but we could. We don't have to make meals for the parents who are stuck in their sixth week of homeschooling three kids while also working full time, but we could. We don't have to organize a Zoom games night with our friends who we we may think are feeling a bit lonely and isolated at the moment. But we could. Jesus has shown us abundant grace. How can this stir us to think how we can show similar levels of abundant grace to those who we know? Well, this passage also reveals a second element of Jesus' character. And that's his hidden humility. Uh, Did you notice in the text, did you notice in the text, Jesus didn't call over the master of banquet or the groom. He didn't call them over and he didn't say, guys, I know you have a wine problem. It's all right, I've solved it. Uh, Do you notice that Jesus didn't send his disciples with the wine to the master of the banquet so that he knew subtly that Jesus had fixed the problem? No, what did Jesus do? Well, verse 8 says, Jesus told the servants, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. It's in this quiet, humble humility where Jesus stays in the background that he decides to reveal his glory. No one, no one except the servants and the disciples knew that Jesus had saved the wedding. So friends, as we seek to become wholehearted disciples, let us imitate Jesus in this humble humility. As we serve, let us serve others with a quiet humility and fight that feeling which we need to fish for a compliment of praise when we've done something to help someone else. The wine sign reveals that we can trust Jesus' glorious character full of abundant, gracious, humble compassion. And lastly, lastly, the wine sign means that we can join Jesus, the glorious celebrator. Well, this may be a crass way to put it, but the wine sign reveals that Jesus brings the party. Unlike Moses, do you remember what sign Moses used to announce his ministry? It was a miracle of vengeance where he turned water into blood. But Jesus doesn't announce his ministry in that way. He announces his ministry with a miracle of liberty 
turning water into wine. And this was calculated because it was exactly what the Old Testament prophets were predicting God would do when his kingdom broke in. Uh, There are multiple Old Testament passages. Uh, Jeremiah 31 verse 12, Joel 3 verse 18, Amos 9, 13 to 14. And they all identify an abundance of new wine as the sign that the long-awaited kingdom of God had arrived. And to make it abundantly clear that this new kingdom of God had arrived, Jesus chooses the ceremonial jars, verse 6, in which to conduct his sign. Now this is a calculated choice. It's a calculated choice because he's signaling that the old ceremonial washings and purification laws are no longer needed. And Jesus is going to replace them with something so much better, so much more glorious. But this is going to come at such a great personal cost to himself. And we see that from the wine sign. We see that like a good wine, this first sign is rich and deep because it also points to how Jesus ultimately does away with these purification laws. It points forward. It points forward to the cross, to Jesus' hour where he is glorified on the cross as he dies as the sinless savior for you and me. At this hour, the perfect son of God is filled to the brim with our sin and his blood is poured out abundantly for our salvation. And he dies so that we can join him. Where do we get to join him? It's in the sign. We get to join him at a heavenly wedding banquet. This is what Isaiah foreshadowed in Isaiah 25 and what John records in Revelation 21. This is where we're heading. We're heading to a party. Jesus has come to bring the party. And we see what this party is like in Isaiah 25, verse 6. We see that the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest wines, and he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. And John, the same writer of the Gospel of John, says in Revelation 19, verse 9, he says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Friends, this is where the wine sign points. It points to Jesus, the glorious celebrator, who died to bring us into the party. So as we end, It may have been a little controversial and very unhelpful to print that slogan on our uni t-shirts. But we did it. We did it because we didn't want people to miss the party. Uh, We did it because we didn't want people to miss the sign. We wanted people to believe that Jesus is their glorious creator whose abundant, gracious, compassionate, humble character led him to the cross so that he could bring you into the party. 
Now, friends, I don't know where you are at on your faith journey, but I pray that you don't miss the sign. I pray that you don't miss the party. And friends, the way you get your name on the door is by responding rightly. This is what the disciples did when they saw the sign. Did you see it in verse 11? What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And here's how we respond. And his disciples believed in him. Jesus turned water into wine. Why wouldn't you follow him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this passage, as we reflect on this strange passage of turning water into wine, Lord, I thank you that we can see you as the glorious creator. Thank you that we can see your compassionate character. And thank you, Lord, that we can see that you are the one who is the great celebrator. Lord, as we now move to sing of this fount of every blessing, we pray that you will move in our hearts by your Spirit to make us love you all the more. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Um, Well, we have loads of great questions that have come in tonight. Um, A few of the most popular ones uh, just might take a little more time than we have tonight to answer, so I might leave them for Tim to possibly pick up in Sermon Extra. Um, But I'm going to ask you this question first, Tim. What's the difference between signs and miracles, or are they the same thing? Yes, thanks for the question. Uh, The difference between signs and miracles, so it was very interesting this morning, they were talking about uh, Jesus calming the storm, uh, which is, is a miracle. Uh, which the other, the other Gospels refer to. But John doesn't pick that up uh, in, in, his, uh, in his account. Um, the difference between miracles... So Jesus did lots of miracles, as John records at the end of his, his, um, his Gospel in, in chapter 20, verse 30. Uh, Jesus did lots of things. But John has focused in on seven signs uh, for a particular reason. And they are, so they're also miracles, but they are signs that point to something. And in this, this sign, they're pointing to Jesus as the glorious creator. Uh, but all seven taken together are giving us a picture of who Jesus is, a full picture of his glory. And ultimately, they point forward to the sign of signs, which is his resurrection from the dead. So there's a, a subtle difference between signs and miracles. Signs are miracles, but they're also, John's using them to point to something else. So they really show us something about Jesus. They do. Help us know That's about right. him. That's awesome. Um, our second question is, why does Jesus wait to be asked by Mary before he helps? Why not help in advance, like how he saw Nathaniel in advance in John 148, which we read the other week? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, I didn't have time to unpack it tonight. But there is so much going on in that little interaction between Mary and Jesus. Uh, it's, we've got to see in this, in this sign, I didn't have time to talk about it, but in this sign, Jesus is, is starting his ministry. And this little interaction between uh, Mary and Jesus is a lot of the commentators point to this as being like the transition moment 
where Jesus moves from being following his mother's instructions to actually following his heavenly father's direction for his life. And, and they talk about that in this moment as he starts his ministry. And, and so there's an element of that going on. So Jesus is, is waiting for that moment. He says, you know, why have you involved me? My hour has not yet come. He's, he's thinking about his hour, which will come, which is at the cross, which is the end of following his father's instruction. Yet, yet here at this point, he's, he, he hasn't offered to help uh, because I think this interaction needs to take place where it's like the leaving of his mother's instruction to following his father's instruction. And this is actually the last time in John's gospel that Mary appears until right at the end when she appears in chapter 19, 26, when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And there he uses the same word, woman, to lovingly direct John to look after her. Um, so there's this really interesting interaction going on there. So we're seeing Jesus kind of show that he's, he's got instructions from his father and that's what he's come to do. Yeah, essentially he's playing now to a different beat and it's the beat of his heavenly father. That's a great song, I'm sure. <laughs> um, well, final question um, how do we persevere in prayer for someone or something when God is seemingly silent? I think when you look at this, when you look at this wine sign, in one sense, it's, it's almost a bit of a, a microcosm of the Christian life. Um, you've got Mary coming to Jesus saying, you know, fix the problem. And she's not sure how he's going to fix the problem. And, and then he goes off and he firstly says sort of no. Uh, but then he goes off and he does something in a completely different way from what we expect. He, he goes and fills up the ceremonial jars to the brim and, and turns them into wine. Um, I think that's a bit of a, a microcosm of, of us and our relationship with God. Uh, he acts and does things in ways that we, we don't expect. And he's always working. Uh, whether or not we're actually seeing the results of that, uh, I want to encourage this person uh, to continue in prayer because we are praying to a very, very powerful God who works not on our timing or our direction, but who works on his timing and his direction. If I can end with a, a little story, um, my auntie and uncle, uh, they were as far from Jesus as one could ever be. And then at my, my grand's funeral, they overheard a, someone talking about a verse, and they took that verse completely out of context and became Christians. And then they grew in their faith, and now they're actually ministering to many people and drawing others to Jesus. And, 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 and this is after 20 or 30 years of my parents praying for them and seeing no fruit. So God works in very strange ways. Uh, we just got to continue to be faithful in asking him to work. And I think reminding each other about God's power to answer prayers is, is a helpful way to encourage each other to keep praying as we remember that he is powerful, he is the one who can answer, and so we should yeah. continue to pray for him. Amen. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tim. It's been great to hear from you. And I'm going to 